Okay, let's go to Psalm 145. 145. That's near the end of the book of Psalms. There's 150 chapters here. And we're going to camp in chapter 145 for this month. Since you've been uh, following my little projection of thought this last year, we've talked about our need to trust the Lord in examining living faith. You should know that one by now. It's James chapter 5. We were there a long time. But we needed to uh, talk about the necessity to live out our faith. And this last month, we zeroed in on the uh, lamentation story and uh, how difficult it was. It was it was not easy to study all that because of the consequence of sin is huge. But in that, there are those delightful verses that brought us back to, we've got a faithful God, one that we should trust, one that we should live out our faith toward. We should do that. Well, we're going to move to chapter 145 of the Psalms, and we're going to focus even further upon our God, the one we're supposed to be trusting. And we're going to spend our time here looking at the unsearchable greatness of our Lord. And I have to tell you, and it's just honest, it's just straightforward, it's easy, and any one of you could say this too. When you try to comprehend the greatness of God, you fall far short. And trying to even express what is practically unexpressible is uh, just a challenge. It's just a challenge. I'm going to babble my way through. That's about what it's going to sound like. I'm going to do my best to express something that's far greater than what even our words can express. And so, I hope you enjoy this study. My primary goal for this is to bring us to reflect upon our Lord and how great He is. And we need to know that. We need to focus on that. And so, I've got it broken down. So, this series actually will cover the... Sunday of November plus our Thanksgiving Eve service. There's my little way of getting you a little hook there to say, hey, come out on Thanksgiving Eve, our Wednesday night service before, because that will be one of our sermons as well in this series. So here we go. Psalm 145. Just follow along as I read. It's not a very long psalm. You can see it's only 21 verses. That might scare you a bit, but uh, here we go. This is a psalm of David, by the way. I will extol you, my God, O King. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty, and all your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell you, tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness, and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. 
All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power, to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to call upon him, call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him, and he will hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who loves him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. This is a magnificent psalm. If you're looking for something to memorize, this one is worth your time, certainly. Any part of scripture is, but this one's a good one. Heavenly Father, we are going to attempt that which your word just said is unsearchable. And explore the greatness of our Lord. Lord, we're so thankful. So thankful that you would look down from your throne in heaven. As great as you are. And you would look down with favor upon us. And think about us and know us like you do. That you should love us. That you should be kind to us. That you should feed us so faithfully as you do. And even hear our cry. Thank you, Lord, for your greatness. We're going to try to explore that today. And we need your help. May our hearts be in tune, like we've said several times today. And receptive. And may we come out of here today with a greater appreciation for your greatness. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. When I started to dig around a little bit to see how do you break this up and work through this, there are several things that are under the caption of the greatness of our Lord. And that's what the psalm, I think, is doing here. It sets up the fact that the Lord is great. And you saw that several times as I read it. And then it would break it into different episodes, if you will, or, or comments about how He is great. He's great. And he is gracious. And he is good. And he sustains. And he is righteous. And he is kind. And he is near. And he keeps. Some of the words that popped off the page when I just started to look through. Of what does it just say about him? He is. And that's a wonderful study. And that's the way we're going to track this as we go. Under the, the banner of great is the Lord. And how unsearchable is that? The little Hebrew word is gedol. It's an interesting word because right here in the middle of my page, I have all the definitions that can be used for that word, that little word gedol. There's, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six words all the way across the line. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight lines long. That word can be translated almost 50 different ways. 
and all of them speak highly of our Lord. That little word could talk about how big he is, how great he is, how extreme he is, how impressed we are, how larger, how louder, even that, how marvelous, how prominent, how severe, how spacious, how vast. It goes on and on and on. It's a fascinating word. In every category, after I looked at this and just thought it through for a minute, in every category our Lord exceeds. He exceeds. We measure size, and He is bigger. We measure depth, and He is deeper. We measure extremes in length, and He is longer. We talk about amount, and He is far more. We could talk about height, and He's higher. We could talk about volume, and He's louder. You could talk about strength. And he's more powerful. You talk about wisdom. He exceeds in wisdom, even the wisest. You mention any attribute. Just lay it down on the page. He excels in it. He exceeds in it. And not only exceeds whatever any creature can set up for comparison, but he exceeds and excels our comparison and even our comprehension of what that is. In other words, if we set up a scale today and used any instrument by which we could measure with, neither our instrument nor our scale would encompass the greatness of our Lord. And it doesn't matter what tool you use on this earth, you cannot measure Him. He's greater. That's a big word, folks. It's a big word. We just say it so simply as we read through the text. Great is the Lord. What is the psalmist trying to say? You can't measure him. You can't measure him. He's great. He's great. Great is the Lord. So we're going to attempt to do that which cannot be done. Isn't that fun? His greatness is unsearchable. Verse number 3 says. That's the key verse. Great is the Lord, highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Now, just because it says that doesn't mean you shouldn't try. Simply, we discover, we examine, we try to count, we try to add it up. The beauty of counting by numbers. Have you ever thought of this? When do you reach the end When you count by numbers. You don't. It's an incredible concept. We we do not commit an error in trying to fathom the greatness of our God. We err when we don't even try. We are called to focus on the greatness of our God even though it's unsearchable. We are called to do this. When John Wycliffe first started putting English to this text here in the year 1390s, a long time ago, he expressed it this way, verse number 3, there is no end of his greatness. There is no end of his greatness. 200 years later, almost 200 years later, there's a group that got together and wrote what they called the Bishop's Bible. 
And when they put it together, they came to this verse and they translated it. And his greatness cannot be searched out. Now, some of your translations might reflect that a little bit, too. Like if you carry a NIV, you would have the phrase, his greatness no one can fathom. The Amplified Version, which is always fun. His greatness is so vast and deep as to be unsearchable. You get the idea. For nearly a thousand years, we have tried to express in words something that we really can only measure in what it is not. That's where we stand as human beings. When we have to measure something like this, we use words like cannot or We put the word un in front of a word like unsearchable or no one or no end. We would use words like that because there is no measuring stick that reaches far enough. So we have to define in the negatives. It's not this and it's not that and it's not that. It has no end. It's unsearchable. We cannot reach this. We have to speak in the negative to express something so positive. It's an interesting problem we have as, a, as good old-fashioned English people because we can't reach far enough. But you know what? I think that's okay with us. I think that's okay with us. We confess very quickly that our Lord exceeds us in every way. Every attempt that we could give to comprehend Him, He exceeds that. And that is exactly what we need today. Believe it or not, It is. We have a Lord that we cannot put in a box. We have a Lord that does not have limitations. He does not have limitations. Here's a thought for you. If he could be measured by wisdom, then wisdom would exceed him. And wisdom would be God. If we could measure him by majesty, then majesty would be greater than him. And majesty would be God. The same is true for power. For anything that could be measured with full power, if you can measure God's power by it, then it must exceed him. And then that power would be God. See, nothing sets above the pinnacle of our Lord. Nothing does. That's why we fall short every single time. So you say, well, pastor, what do we do with all that? Let me start with the application today. We're going to go backwards. A backwards sermon, all right? We're going to start with the application today and then go into the reason for it. The application is real simple. This display of the unsearchable greatness of our Lord is meant for us to respond. That's why it's on your page. That's why it's recorded for you to read. It's so that you will respond as an individual. Me as an individual. Us as a fellowship. We are to respond to the greatness of our God. David put that all the way through this psalm. And as I read it, maybe you weren't looking for this because you weren't, I didn't set you on it. But how many times did David respond to the greatness of a God by saying, I will. 
Look again at the passage and follow it with me. When he starts in verse number 1, I will extol. That means, interesting Hebrew word, heave up. You say, what? Heave up? Well, to raise it up higher, to lift it up higher. I will extol your name. You, my God, the King. Isn't that great? King David saying, God's my King. I will extol you. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day, verse five or verse two, I will bless you. Verse two, I will praise your name forever and ever. On the glory, verse number five, jump down there. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. You seen what, what he's doing here? I will extol you. I will bless you. I will bless you. I will praise you. I will meditate on you. Verse number six, I will tell of your greatness. Then jump all the way down to the last verse, 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. David as a king adored his king, God. He adored him. As a psalm writer, David extols his Lord many times before. He's doing this still. And he says, I'll keep on going into the future. Spurgeon said, praise is for every tense. Past tense, present tense, future tense. We all have reasons to praise Him for all these things because we cannot express all the praise we have right now. There's so much of it, I hope. Maybe we need to keep a record of it so that we could write it down and, and use it again later to give praise to His name. I like the way that David's never satisfied with merely praising God forever. He has to say, forever and ever. I mean, forever, how long is that? And then to add another part to it. And more. Time isn't even enough. He says, time is not enough to measure his greatness in the praise he deserves. There's no end in sight. It goes on and on and on. When he talks to, about the greatness of his Lord, this doesn't come to a surprise to us that David would write this way. A lot of his psalms are, are just habitual praises, aren't they? On and on, he's just always trying to express that. He seems never tired of that theme. I, I don't find with David's psalms that we ever rarely actually find one that does not praise him in one facet or another. Just wants to magnify the greatness of the Lord. There's about, uh, out of 150 psalms, there's about 75 of these that are David's. And I found over the years of reading them that I don't have to look even up at the caption and say, oh, this must be a Psalm of David. It has a characteristic about it that talks about, oh, I'm in trouble. Boy, I'm falling apart. This is terrible. But God is great. And he just goes with that theme over and over and over again. And I find them to be so refreshing. This Psalm brought that out in me as I was reading it. David he didn't keep it personal. He didn't just say, this is just between me and my God. This is the way I, I, I do it. I keep it quiet. Uh, maybe that's the way it's done today. 
The world doesn't like us praising our God, does it? Have you ever noticed their response to, to those kind of things? They prefer that we not do it in the first place. But if, if you are going to do it, keep it secret, okay? Don't bring it out in front of them. They, they, they don't want you to, to praise in public. Now, they're not doing that to protect you, of course. They're doing that to protect themselves. Because when we start talking about how great our God is, we know, and they know, we're accountable to Him. We're accountable to Him. The world doesn't desire to be accountable to the greatness of our God. It doesn't want that. It doesn't seek Him out. It does not study Him. It certainly doesn't want to stop what it's doing and praise Him. So where should it come from? Who should be doing it? The people who know Him. We should be in the forefront with this. This is David's motivation in writing. He says, I'm not going to keep quiet about this. I'm not going to be silent. Maybe it's contagious. You know, we could spread all kinds of terrible things. Let's start spreading something great. Let's talk about our Lord. Let's praise Him for His greatness. Perhaps if we should do that as an individual, it will motivate more to do it too. Isn't that interesting? Our world is full of followers. It's full of followers. And David says, maybe I'll inspire others to praise him too. Now, I say that and you say, well, how do you know David's thinking this way? If you follow his words, he's saying, I will, I will, I will, I will. And then suddenly he says, and maybe they will, they will, they will, they will. Notice how it changes in verse number one. I will extol you. I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, verse two says, and I will praise your name forever and ever. And then watch to verse four. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Here's a very important thing. If praise ceases with this generation, how likely is the next one to do it? How likely is the next one to do it? If we keep quiet, aren't we teaching our children to keep quiet too? I, I'm not surprised by this, and you're not either. Children copy their parents. They copy their parents. I learn a lot about parents by talking to the kids. You ever watch me watch, talking to your kids? Guess what I'm up to? I'm trying to figure you out. I say, no. You learn a lot about kids, well, from kids. And they copy their parents. And we're doing them a great disservice. If we do not teach them to praise our God. What will the next generation do if we stop our praising? David says, one generation to the next generation. He says in verse number 5, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wonderful works, I will meditate. And look, look at the next verse. This is what he desires. That men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts. And I will tell of your greatness. And they, verse 7, will eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. He doesn't mind being a song leader, but he wants a whole chorus to join in. Don't be afraid to talk, folks. Don't be afraid to talk of the Lord to your children, 
to your grandchildren. Some of you, to your great-grandchildren. Let them know how great He is. He is great, isn't He? I mean, are we ever going to exhaust the topic? I don't think so. Pass it on. David says, I will do it. I will do it. And they will too. Because I did. They will join in and they will share. That's how it ought to be. In verse number 10. All your works should give thanks to you, O Lord. All of them should. Wouldn't that be great? All your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. David loved to talk about his king. And he desires that you do it too. Sometimes, folks, you have to prime the pump. That's an old term, isn't it? you got to get it started somehow. you got to initiate the response. you got to take the first step, maybe. Because there are a lot of followers in this world. And it's good if we have a righteous leader. You can be that one who speaks of the Lord. Because people will hear that and people will respond. They will follow. We come to praise. We know the greatness of our Lord. We ought to be out in front with it. We ought to be out in front with it. We should lead the course and encourage people to join in. And I'm not exaggerating. I'm not. If the church today does not praise Him, who will? Who will? Do you think this world is spontaneously going to begin to praise Him without our testimony of how great He is? I don't think so. That's our application. I told you I'm starting backwards. That's our application. It comes down to this. Speak up. Speak up. Others will hear it. Others will join in. Give praise to the unsearchable greatness of our Lord. Do it. And then somebody would say, well, where do you start? You said it's a big topic. Where do we get a hold of this one and begin our... Our conversation. Where do we start? You ever hesitate because you don't know where to begin? You think it's just too difficult? You know, we make testimony so difficult. We seek certain words to make them right. The right expression, the proper appearance, the tone of voice. And of course, a good dose of theological correctness. Right? You've got, to, you've got to work on a good testimony. It's no wonder people are so afraid to speak up. I've known people who would rather faint than pray in public. I've asked people before in church, and I thought they were going to faint. It, it's that look on their face, that initial look like, you know that look. So if you're one who doesn't know where to start, or how it should be done. Let's use David's technique today. All right? We're going to learn it over the next few weeks so we can see what we learn. Where do you start when you can start anywhere? I think the best place to start is what you know. What you know. The greatness of our Lord applies to every single field of investigation. 
every single field. One of the favorite expressions I've ever heard in a sermon was by a man named S.M. Lockridge, who's a pastor many years ago. I think he's with the Lord now. If heaven's a lot louder, he is. S.M. Lockridge produced a sermon that became very famous. Uh, he's shared it several times on radio. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's been written down. It's been put in, put in books. He came and spoke at Moody Bible Institute, and they asked him to preach this sermon, and it was recorded there. That's where I heard it. Uh, I wasn't there. It was the year before I started school there, but my mom always had Moody Radio on during the day, especially Founders Week, and so I had the privilege of hearing this at one time, and I said, wow, that's my words, wow, this guy was trying to describe the greatness of his king. I'm going to read it to you, a little portion of it. I mean, it's a little portion of a great big thing, and you might want to look it up someday and hear the rest of the sermon, but it's a, it's a blessing to me every time. And I've read it, I think, here before, but here's what I, I share with you from S.M. Lockridge. The Bible says, my king is a seven-way king. He is the king of the Jews, that is a racial king. He is the king of Israel, that's a national king. He is the king of righteousness. He is the king of the ages. He is the king of heaven. He is the king of glory. He is the king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. David says, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. No far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessings. He's, he's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immor- immortally great, graceful. He is imperially powerful. He is impartially merciful. He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's Son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He is awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticism. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. He supplies strength to the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. Well, my king is the king. He is the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He is the gateway of glory. His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. His yoke is easy. And His burden is light. I wish I could describe Him to you. But He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. 
He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him off your mind. You can't get him off your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him. They found they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. The grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. Isn't that great? You say, okay, well, would you like a testimony like that? Let's go to where you can start. Where I can start. If I was to give praise to my Lord, I would like to talk about the day I met him. How about you? His grace. His mercy. His goodness. Right here in verse number 8 and verse number 9 is where we start. The Lord is gracious and merciful. Slow to anger. Great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and His mercies over all His works. We often define grace as receiving that which we don't deserve. And then we define mercy as not receiving what we do deserve. Both are related terms under that phrase, loving kindness. That's exactly what we have come to love. No. The Lord loves you. Isn't that just astounding to think about? This great, great, great Lord that we can't even measure loves us. Just let that, let, let that bounce around inside for a few minutes. And, wow! Why? Why? What is it about us that encouraged or prompted Him to love us? Because we were so intelligent. Right? We impressed Him with our wisdom. I don't think so. Our athleticism. That's what it is. He likes the winners. Right? What if he come in second? Was it our creativity? That he says, wow, that person is clever. Was it our good looks? What is it that would make God look down and say to us, I love you? And how do you respond to a God like that? You know, loving somebody who loves you is not so hard. Usually that's the way we operate. This person loves me, so I'm going to love them back, right? We, we respond that way. And some people think, well, God looked down and he says, well, you know, they're going to respond to me, so I'm going to love them. Now that sure does weaken what God's love is all about. Because it makes it sound like God's love is kind of puny and it needs propped up. Other people have to love him, so respond to him. And so he would actually show his kind of love. Try this. Love your enemy. Love your enemy. That's a different story, isn't it? According to Scripture, God loved us when we were helpless. God loved us when we were hopeless. And of all things, God loved us while we were actively his enemy. Why we were living lives in opposition to the truth that He has declared. 
we were breathing in his air and eating his provisions of food. And our hearts were beating because of his greatness and mercy to us. And all the while we opposed him in every step, in every breath, in every heartbeat. God loved us while we were yet sinners. That's incredible. And yet scripture goes and describes this kind of love that our Father has for us. We went along with the world, folks. Ephesians 2 would tell you that. It used to be that way, that we applauded people who did these things that were in opposition to God. How do you measure grace? We're going to measure anything. How do you measure grace? When you're in Ephesians chapter 2, there's a lot to be said there. But I'm going to take you to Ephesians 4 for a minute. Ephesians chapter number 4. Look at verse number 7 just for a minute. Ephesians 4 verse 7. Look at these words. To each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. You catch that last phrase? You want to know how much grace has been given to you? Measure the grace of God. It's according to His measure, not ours. We measure so small. And yet to everyone, it says to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. How do you measure mercy? How do you measure mercy? Back in the chapter 2 of Ephesians. Gives us a clue in verse number 4. But God being, what? Rich in mercy. You ever wonder what his bank statement looked like? Rich in mercy, it says. God who's rich in mercy because of his great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead... In our sins. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He could have left us dead. And it was right. It's what we deserved. His mercy was greater than our sin. And greater than the penalty of that sin. He made us alive together with Christ. And he didn't stop there. He didn't say, well, stand up. Okay, now we'll leave you be. No, he raised us up. Notice the next verse. Raised us up with him with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That stuns me every time I read it. What is that? He wasn't merely making you alive so much more. He intends for you to spend eternity with him. Do you see it? Every moment of every moment for all of forever and ever, you who were once his enemy is going to sit right beside him. Wow! You want to talk about big words? Only one who enjoys the beauty of extremities can see how beautiful this passage is. How unsearchable. How 
boundless it is. How wonderful it is. How endless is His graciousness and mercy to us. He's slow to anger, it says. He's great in loving kindness. And your soul knows it, doesn't it? Your soul knows it. Why don't we let it teach our mouth to say something about it? Why don't we let it do what our heart has been trying to say all along? Open the mouth and give Him the praise. Because you know that the Lord is good. The passage says so. Don't you believe it? It was right there in Psalms. The Lord is good. You believe that? He's good to all. Merciful to all His works. It's by His mercy we exist. And still exist. And His goodness is dished out to us every single day. Over and over and over and over. Every moment is the basis of His goodness toward us. Every moment is a gift from His kindness. He gives and He gives and He gives and He gives. His goodness is never withheld. It's never diminished in the character of His goodness. Never does it come to a small size. The word is tov in Hebrew. And if you thought great had a lot of definitions, you should see my page for tov. When it talks about the goodness of our God... There's not enough words in the English language to fill that word up. Not enough words. We talk about what is pleasant and agreeable and beautiful and beneficial and fair and favorable and gracious and kind and splendid and sweet and upright and well. And all these words are just all over my page. Things that are worthy of our God. They're worthy of our God. Just pick one. Our Lord exceeds it. Pick one. Search it out. He's greater still. You say, well, I don't know where to start. Start with the day you met Him. You received mercy. You received grace. You received goodness all the time. Just take three words and realize He exceeds them all. He's greater than all those terms. And yet we know those terms. Because we know what He's done for us. We know what He's done for us. That's a beginning place. There's so much more for us to explore. I know that. And our time is very short. So I just go back to our application. When is it that when we start to engage the mouth? When is it that we start to say, I will bless your name forever and ever. And not wait for forever and ever, but start right today. When are we going to start telling the next generation how great is our God? Don't they need to hear it? We've enjoyed it for so long. Let's share it with the next group. Let's share it with the next group. That's where we're going with the greatness of our God. We've got an incredible study before us. Start with what you know. He's been good to you. He's been gracious to you. He's been merciful to you. Tell somebody. Heavenly Father, wow, how great you are. How great you are. And now in light of who we are and what you've done for us, it's not enough words to express it all. 
But may we at least start with our words today. May we single out somebody, or maybe more, that we could tell them how great you've been to us. May our mouths not be silent any longer. But we have much to say. If our hearts and our souls are any indication of that, if we've understood what we've heard today, we have much to say. We give you the praise for being how being great like you are. How great you are. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.